Good evening, everybody. I am very thrilled about tonight because uh, the two folks that are with me uh, to, on tonight's live stream are folks that I met uh, serendipitously. It's a pretty cool story. Um, <laughs> Steve and Sarah are amazing people, and their testimony is going to blow you away like it did me. Um, Steve, I'm going yeah. to share with them how we got connected, and then Sarah, too, because y you've got to hear this. Um, and, and Brigida is your last name, yeah. Steve and Sarah Brigida. Now, I, I've, I've prayed with you before after a service. Right, yeah. Um, and, and I honestly, Steve, forgive me, but if mm. we connected, it was like in passing. It was and, brief, like three yeah, seconds. Yeah, and my, my yeah. So my daughter, uh, <laughs> this is hilarious. So I was traveling on the Charlie Kirk crazy train, uh, four states, and I ended up landing late in the evening at LAX. And as a lot of you know, the, the difficulty we've gone through as a family with uh, our, our grandson being stillborn, uh, Theodore, and my family was involved in caring for Molly and Micah and babysitting the kids while um, Molly was in the hospital. And so everybody was busy and I had no way to get back from LAX. And my daughter Kelly said, Dad, I've arranged to have a member of our congregation, his name is Steve, and he's going to pick you up because he has a, a livery service, uh, a driving service, and we're, we'll have him pick you up. I said, great. So uh, my flight landed early, and sure enough, uh, he's, he's a good, you're really good at what you do because you were there early, and you, yeah. you were tracking the flights and everything. Mm -hmm. So he pulls up, picks me up, I put my stuff in the trunk, I get in, and you're a good driver. You were keeping the speed limit. But you weren't lollygagging. You were, you know, getting me where I needed to go. I was close to the speed limit. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, he says, how was your trip? And I share with him. And, and then I just said, look, Steve, I, you'll hear about my stuff on Sunday morning. I don't know anything about you. Tell me your story. And Steve says, y you don't know my story? I said, no, I, I have no clue. I don't know who you are, really. He said, nobody in the Bible studies told you anything? I said, no, no one told me anything. And he said, all right. And then he proceeded to tell me an amazing testimony. You're going to hear it momentarily. But this is the kicker, is when he got towards the close of his testimony, and especially getting married to Sarah, he said, I can't really finish this because i got to go pick someone else up at LAX. I'm going to drop you off in Woodland Hills at the Denny's. My wife is going to take you the rest of the way with my daughter, Hannah. And I thought, all right, this is an interesting night. <laughs> so I switch cars, get in your car, mm -hmm. and I get part two of the story. And by the time you dropped me off, I, I was just so moved. I mean, I had seen some amazing things traveling through all these states with Charlie. But this was more than just a cherry on top of an incredible week. It was a great blessing to me. Mm -hmm. The two of you touched my life so deeply. Mm -hmm. And I, I wanted you to hear this. I, you're... You better pay attention and not tune out because you're about ready to go on a roller coaster ride that's going to blow your socks off. Yeah. And I'm going to start that roller coaster with you, Steve. Okay. I get in the car and I go, tell me your life. Tell me about your story. And you said you began on the East Coast. Yeah. Your parents got, went through a divorce when you were around 10? Five. 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 You're five years of age. Yeah. And then you moved to Illinois. And now pick it up. If you want to add more to that, do it. But just <laughs> check this out. <laughs> Tell me about it. This is so amazing. Um, well, I mean, the divorce at five was, uh, looking back, I can see how that really affected me in a bad way because uh, I, I wasn't too long after that I started getting in trouble. And um, 
got into vandalism stuff when I was really young, and I was just angry. And I really and, and I can tell you, yeah. you're 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 fit. You're a good athlete. Mm-hmm. Um, you 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 probably are a pretty good fighter. Um, you're, you're scrappy. You look, you know, like you can handle yourself. Yeah. So you're angry. Yeah. And you're struggling over life. Yeah. Take it from there. No. Yeah, I didn't. I got in a lot of fights. Uh, a lot of that stemmed from, you know, I was always small for my age, so kids would pick on me. So I, I got in a lot of fights growing up and stuff like that. Um, and when I moved to Illinois, everything just just got worse. I got older, and the crime got worse. And didn't your mom remarry after the divorce? Yeah, she remarried, and my, turns out my stepdad's an alcoholic. He worked in the record industry, and he was just his whole, he had a whole other lifestyle that was, like, hidden. And I didn't even really learn about some of this stuff till not that long ago. But anyways, it was, we never got along. And um, so that just, made, that just made things even worse, and I was angrier, and... Um, and at about age 15, it, it got so bad to where I wasn't getting along with my stepdad that I moved back with my dad in Massachusetts. Okay. And uh, I wound up doing, I'm 16 years old, and I started doing burglaries. So I'm 16 years old. I'm burglarizing people's houses and stuff. I don't know how many I did. It was probably dozens of them. And uh, my dad found a bunch of stolen stuff uh, that I'd hidden in, a, um, in part of the house. And, and, and um, no... For the most part, maybe vague memory, but really no church attendance. No, n- nothing in your family had, relating to God. No, mm-hmm. there was nothing there. I, you know, there was one time in my life that I could look back, and I was running out of the house. I was this was when I was living in Tewksbury, Massachusetts. I was like eight years old, and the only time, if God's name wasn't mentioned in, in a blaspheming way, this was the only time it was mentioned in a good way. My mom was yelling at me as I was running out of the house. God's got a plan for your life. That's pretty cool. <laughs> you know, I never went to church. There was never any Bible stuff at home. So I was about as, as I guess, as uh, heathen as you could be. And you're, you're, you're 16 robberies into this uh, early crime spree of life. Right. Yeah, and I wound up going to juvenile hall for a year. And the day I got out of juvenile hall, I moved out here to California because by that time, my stepdad had gotten promoted and he was living out here with my mom and my brother. And, and you ended up right here in Westlake Village. Well, Thousand Oaks. Thousand yeah, Oaks, yeah. Thousand Oaks. So I was living here in Thousand Oaks. This is about 1986. And I went to Westlake how, High how, School. How old are you? Uh, I'm 17 when I come out here. Okay. And I went to Westlake High School. And uh, I got expelled as soon as I turned 18. They kicked me out of Westlake High School. And um, shortly after that, I was no longer living at home. I was living on the streets. I mean, I was really, I'm in a, I've been in a, I've been using drugs since about age 12. And what kind of drugs at this point? Uh, Mostly just, uh, mostly marijuana and drinking, um, some LSD. um, And then I started using cocaine at 17. And once I started doing that, I started smoking it. And it was, I went downhill fast. Mm -hmm. Um, I wanted to burglarize in my neighbor's house, stole some guns out of there. You also did a carjacking, you told me. I did do a carjacking. Um, collect them all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I've got. There's uh, there was so much crime I was doing. It's hard to even remember. Uh, I was like a one man crime wave in Thousand Oaks, Westlake Village area back in 1987. And um, uh, yeah, I did do the carjacking. I got into a high speed chase. I was actually in I think five high speed chases in 1987 alone. Um, three of them in cars and two of them on motorcycles. And they all ended in crashes, and somehow I, I never really, I never got hurt at all. Even when I crashed on the motorcycle, which 
took place on the night of um, this crime I committed that wound up putting me in prison for all those years. Uh, Tell them about that one. Because this okay. one, yeah. this is going to be hard for people to process because, mm. you know, this is, this is a fellowship and you're part of it. Mm. You, you love the Lord. Um, but we're, we're watching police under assault and, mm-hmm. yeah. and uh, you know, that thin blue line. Yeah. And, and what you're about to share is going to grieve people, but yeah. it's not something you're proud of, but right. the Lord owns your past. So let's, let's not leave it out. Yeah. Um, well, I'd, I'd done this burglary and I had a, I had a, uh, a 22 Smith & Wesson revolver on me and I was out looking to um, do an armed robbery so I could get some money to buy drugs. So in the process of this, um, I'm just driving around. I'm cruising around in this stolen motorcycle. It's a, it's a Suzuki GSX-R750, and I really don't know how to ride it that well. It was just easy to steal. So I'm out looking, to, um, uh, like I said, to rob somebody, and I wind up in, in Ventura. And I'm, I see this guy at an ATM. I follow him, and he parks inside of his house, and the garage door closes. And I'm like, okay, i got to find someone else to, to rob now. And I wind up getting on the freeway the wrong way and next and I just kept following it I really had no clue as to what I was doing next thing you know I'm up by Magic Mountain after riding for I don't know a good 30 minutes and uh, I'm almost out of gas so I go to pull off the freeway and I notice I got a a 5.0 Mustang behind me CHP I make a right he makes a right I make a left he makes a left I turn into this gas station and he turns in and finally he turns on his lights and I spun the bike around and went to shoot past him. He actually tried to run me over to stop me, but I made it past him before he could hit me. Now we're, in a, we're on Lake Hughes Road up by uh, Magic Mountain, right off the, I think it's the 5 freeway. And uh, this guy catches up to me like that. That car was fast. And I slowed down and went into someone's backyard because I was going too fast to make the on-ramp to the freeway. And I wound up um, going to go between these two trees and I hit a log, go fly over the motorcycle I come down, I'm not hurt. I put my hands down to get up and my hand came down on the gun that was in my waistband. So I get up running with the gun. As I'm running, I'm taking off the gloves, I'm taking off the helmet. And at some point I hear the cop say, freeze or I'll shoot. Well, I'm thinking he's really gonna shoot me because he can see that I have this gun in my hand. So I stop and when I, when I stop, my, I have my side to him and the gun's at my side where he can't see it. And I pretend like I'm gonna prone out on the ground and I just spun and and shot and I wound up hitting him in the face and I remember seeing a spark because he was wearing glasses and what I believe happened was the bullet hit the glasses uh, bounced hit him in the cheek and bounced off and then I hear a scream to my left a really loud yell and I turn and fire it's his partner coming at me from the blind side I shoot at him and I miss and he tackles me and this this guy was big I mean he was I'm I'm 18 years old at the time I'm about 140 pounds. I'm only 5'6", five, 5'7". Five, and this guy was just on me. He puts me in cuffs and he takes this flashlight to my head. And the side of my head's never been the same since then. He cracked me a couple of times. And each time he hit me, it was like a, uh, like a flashbulb going off behind my eyes. And uh, they, they got me in custody, um, took me to the hospital. They beat me up in the parking lot yeah, before I got into the hospital. I remember walking in there and some lady saw me. She took one look at me, screamed and ran in the other direction. I was just a bloody mess. Uh, and I wound up getting uh, two life sentences run concurrent, plus a couple of years for a gun allegation at age 18. So at age 18, you have two life sentences. Yeah. But you're sitting here with yeah. me. Yeah. And you haven't escaped, although that yeah. is part of your testimony. Yeah. So I'm, Fill everybody in. Okay. How did you get in a car with me 
yeah. a, a convicted life felon, yeah. two, two concurring life sentences. How, how did we end up on a ride back in an airport from an airport? Come on, man. Yeah, God's providence. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, that's, it was funny because um, I've been looking for more, more ways to serve the Lord since, since I got out. And I'm open to whatever he's, you know, has for me. And it seems like since I've been out, there hasn't, I'm sure a lot has to do with me just kind of being caught up, I guess, and, and trying to uh, catch up on a lot of things I missed out on. But, but walk everybody through. Well, mm. you're, you're in prison. Okay, I'm in prison. Um, so I'll, by this time now, I'm 19. By the time I get sentenced and all that and get out of the county jail, I hit Old Folsom at 19. Folsom prison. Yeah, Old Folsom, yeah, the, prison in Sacramento. The Johnny Cash. Yeah, exactly, same place, Johnny Cash, yep. Um, so that's quite an intimidating place to walk into. But I'd, I'd been prepared because L.A. County Jail, which was where I um, wound up um, spending like eight and a half months at, Let, that let's, is Let's a tough, do this real quick. I just okay. thought about something. Okay. The officer lived. The officer, yeah, the officer lived. He actually didn't get hurt that bad. Good. He testified on me at, uh, in court, and when I saw him, I, I think all he had was a little scar right here, so that's fortunate. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's a good thing. We wanted everyone to hear yeah. that. Okay, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. yeah, he did live, um, and, and I'm glad for it, and I take full responsibility for it. I'm not one of those people that says my childhood made me do it. Yeah. You know, I was just, I was just a wicked, wicked dude at the time. And I was doing whatever pleased me, and I didn't care about what anyone else had to say. Yeah. You know, I was a fool. And, and as a fool, you end up at Folsom at 19. Yeah, so I uh, hit Folsom Prison, and shortly thereafter, I wind up, um, a drug deal goes wrong. You know, I'd really, I'd really gotten into drugs now, even worse now that I'm in prison. Because um, you had money on your books. And- I had money on my books. I had cash going into prison that I'd smuggled in from L.A. County Jail. So I get into using methamphetamine and heroin now, which are two drugs I'd never used on the streets. And um, I'm injecting this stuff, especially the methamphetamine, because I really like cocaine. So the methamphetamine was like right up my alley. And um, so I, get, I wind up getting involved in a drug deal where this guy burns me. So I, of course I have to do something about it. And now I wind up uh, picking up an assault with a weapon, with a deadly weapon. And now I go to Pelican Bay and I'm... Was it like a prison shank or something or what? Yeah, I, no, I, I actually, even... I didn't know anything at the time about, uh, about making weapons like that. So I just put a couple bars of soap in a sock and just, just you know, him. just, yeah, beat him as much as I could with it. And, uh, and I wound up at, at um, Pelican Bay with, uh, as a result of that. And I Pelican up Bay's up in Crescent City. Crescent it's a high City. security facility. Super high max. Yeah, you know. I, I, I visited yeah. there. Um, yeah. I, yeah, visiting. But yeah. anyway, so yeah, you're better visiting than actually being, <laughs> yeah. you know, on the other side. Yeah. Uh, so I did some time there. And your mom didn't give up yeah. on you. She no, my mom never gave up on me. She's actually throughout all of this. She's stuck with me. Um, she's I don't know. She spent so much time and so much money visiting me and sending me stuff, taking care of me with packages and. And that getting you know. to Pelican Bay. I mean, you've got yeah. a, you got to fly into yeah. Reading. Yeah. And then take a puddle jumper over to Crescent yeah. City. Yeah, she had to take like. Going to, I think she went to SFO, okay. and then from there, I think she took a puddle jumper or something. Yeah. I, think, I think that's how it went. So yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of hardship right there. So you're in Pelican Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're, 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 are you still dealing? I'm still involved in drugs. Um, Did you get involved with any of the prison politics? The gangs? Yeah, I, you know, at, the, at this time, I really, I was still kind of, um, uh, since I hadn't really been in prison that long, I was still more, uh, um, I guess, acclimated to how I was on the streets, and I hadn't really, because a lot of guys, they, uh, um, I'm trying to think of what's the word for it, once, uh, 
Jeez, I can't think of it right now. Um, but anyhow, um, after guys, uh, oh, institutionalized. That's the word I'm looking for. I hadn't been institutionalized yet. So I really didn't like the politics. You know, uh, you kind of have to go along with certain things in there if you're, if, uh, for your own safety. Um, but fortunately, up until this time, a lot of that stuff I, I was able to avoid. And if I had a personal problem, yeah, I would deal with that. But as far as the prison politics, uh, things went well enough on the yard to where I didn't have to get involved in that. And but you so, were kind of, you were settling in for a lifetime of this. Right, yeah. So here I am, I'm doing life in prison. At that time, if you had a life sentence, you weren't getting out. It was like one or two out of 100 guys ever got found suitable for parole. So I figured I'm just going to do whatever I please. And that's how I did my time. And um, I wound up, after Pelican Bay, I, got, I went down to, uh, um, I went back to Old Folsom. And then from Old Folsom, I went to Lancaster. And I remember when I was in Lancaster, this is now 1994. Uh, I'm working in the kitchen. It's my second or third day there, and I watched how they, the trash truck would come in. And, now, Lancaster's uh, a high-security facility just yeah, like Pelican Bay. Yeah, level four. Level four? Yeah, level four. And, and you're working in the kitchen? I'm working in the kitchen, and I watched the trash truck come in because I'm on the back dock, and I noticed this guy go over, and he lifts up the, the lid and looks in there, sees that it's full, and loads it up. It's one of the ones that loads from the front and drops in over the top. And I'm like, oh, wow. All I got to do is get inside the dumpster, and that guy will drop me right in there and drive me right out. And uh, a buddy of mine that I actually started doing my time with, he was in a cell that looked to the sally port where all the trucks and stuff came in and out at. And I said, hey, I need you to watch the sally port and tell me, you know, if this truck, watch it come in and watch it go out. So I got the timing down on the truck. And uh, so I plotted for a, a couple, couple of weeks, got a, got a few guys to help me out with my, with my plan. And on the day, uh, on the day I decided to put everything to action, I came into work late so I could come in wearing my own personal clothes underneath my state clothes because there was a lot of stuff you were able to get through your, through your um, package. Plus, I wouldn't have to turn my ID in, which would make sure I wasn't, uh, they weren't able to count me correctly. And uh, I was working in the scullery, and when all the trash would come in, usually we would take to the trash to the back once things would get full, but I purposely kept everything up front and... At the end of our, our shift that day, when we, I went and got into the dumpster and the guys that, that I had helping me out, they came in and threw all this trash in on top of me. And after about a half hour, the dumpster comes. He looks in the first one, sees that it's full, packs it up. He comes to the second one, which I'm in. He, he sees that it's full and he drops me in the back. And now I'm in the back of this trash truck and uh, this thing compacts me. I mean... You start to get crushed. Yeah, so I'm in it kind of like sitting like this. Here's the front end of the truck. Here's the back end, and I'm sideways against, this, against the right side wall, and this thing starts to crush me, and it, kept getting, it just kept getting harder and harder and harder. I can hear my ribs popping, so I broke four ribs, and then all this blood comes up into my head. Now it's coming out my ears. It's coming out my nose. It broke every blood vessel in my eye. I didn't have any whites to my eyes for almost three weeks didn't after you, this. Didn't you lose your eyesight yeah. for a bit? Too? I went blind for about a whole minute. And once I was finally able to start breathing again because it collapsed my lungs, uh, I was able to take little tiny breaths. And after a while, I, my vision came back and stuff. And we went to another yard. And I said, well, if I live through it once, I could live through it again. So we went to B Yard. I was on, on Charlie Yard at the time. So here we are over on Bravo Yard. And I get crushed two more times. We go to Alpha Yard. 
I get crushed two more times. We get to the Sally Port, oh, I get crushed once more. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, I know, Steve. I love too. I love, and when I tell it, I do that too. I'm like, it's like so incredible and yeah. crazy. You got, you got crushed seven times. I got this. crushed seven times. But each one wasn't as bad as the one yeah. before. The first one was the worst. It got better. Yeah. So I it guess I was, I was softened up at the time. Yeah. So I was, yeah. Um, and then they drive me out of there. We get to the landfill. And, now, you know, so we get to the landfill and the truck, he, um, the whole back end lifts up and all the trash comes out. And he drives forward about 15, 20 feet and stops. And now he's pulling out bags of trash that hadn't fallen out. And I'm laying there. And I've got a wooden pallet over me and I can see through the wooden pallet. And here comes a, a bulldozer. And it's the, one of the big ones with the paddle spike wheels. And he goes by and he circles around and starts coming towards me. And I was not scared at throughout any of this until this bulldozer started closing in on me and once he got to maybe about seven feet away I was like oh no forget this and uh, I stick my hand up through the uh, wooden pallet and I try to wave at this guy to like let him know I'm there but it's too late because the the blade from the bulldozer is so high up that he can't see me it's covered his view right so he starts to drive over me and just when he's the the paddle wheels are about to I mean crush you to, I mean yeah it stops he backs up, and as he's backing up, the, uh, the blade comes down on the wooden pallet. It drives it into my left knee, and it, uh, the pain from the crushing was bad, but the pain from that was so much worse. Just by your femur. I mean, that's yeah, awful. It tore stuff up inside of my knee. I jumped up, and I took off running, and I'd say I got maybe 40, 50 feet, and my left leg just went out. And uh, the guy in the uh, – one of them yells to the other one, call the paramedics. So I'm just laying there. I can't do anything now at this point. And, so much for freedom. Yeah, and that was it. And be, about 20, 30 minutes later, I've got the security squad standing over me with, the, with my ID going, yup, that's him. Mm. And this is uh, January 13th, uh, 1994, just before the, the earthquake there in um, uh, Northridge. Yeah. yeah. So, so you get... You, do you get pushed back up to Pelican Bay? Go back to Pelican Bay. Now i got to start all over again. <laughs> and and you, you've just been knocked way down the yeah. totem. So there's, there's really no chance of you ever getting out at this point. Yeah, I mean, between not only that, but um, after that, my behavior got even worse. Yeah. I mean, I just was in fights. I, was, I started getting involved in the politics, so I got more heavily into drugs. And when you say politics, who'd you start to side with? Well, since I'm white, you know, I'm with the whites. Yeah. And... Um, and they've got, you know, there's all kinds of rules in there. You don't eat food from other races. You don't do this with other races and that with other races and stuff like that. So you've got to abide by these things or you become a target, you know. And uh, so I went back to Pelican Bay. From there, I worked my way down to Salinas Valley. Let, let me interject. If yeah. you don't mind. I just thought of something. Yeah. If you want to see socialism at work, a prison's a great place because mm -hmm. everything's taken care of by yep. the government. Yep. And, and yet even in full socialism... There's still racism. Yeah, there's still racism. Fascinating. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. There's there's a lot of it. Yeah, you know, and, and it's, no one tries to hide it either. Yeah. <laughs> so so uh, so you get transferred from Pelican Bay. How do you right. get out of Pelican Bay at this point? Uh, good behavior. I managed to go two years without getting a, a 115, which is a dis disciplinary, and uh, it's and, not and because I wasn't doing things. It's just because I didn't get caught. Gotcha. Yeah. And you're still doing drugs? Still doing drugs. Uh, got into some fights that they never knew about. You know, you get into a cell fight or something like that. And as long as you don't make too much noise, you can, yeah. you know, you can get away with it. And um, 
You so, ended up being in the hole a bunch of times too. How long yeah. were you in it? You um, told me. I went to the hole like three or four times. I don't explain to everybody yeah. what the hole is. A uh, hole is with administrative segregation. It's so it's like a it's like a prison within a prison. So it's bad enough being on the main line, but when you go to the hole now. There's a lot of your privileges are yeah, you, you taken get, away. You, you don't get to go out on the yard. You... Well, they do have yards, but it's like it's in a big cage. Yeah. You know, and some of them are you're actually you're in a cage that's basically fit for a dog. That's about it. Yeah. You know, and you're all the like the ones at Pelican Bay. They're they're like ten foot by twenty foot, and you're caged in. All of them are caged in, but some of the ones are they're more wide open and stuff. You can play handball and whatever out there. You know. But it, life is monotonous. Yeah, and it's really basically no reason to live. Yeah, twenty three hours a day in a cell. You get an hour of exercise, you know, like, I don't know, five, six days a week sometimes, you know. So, But you get used to it. The, the weird thing is, is how much you can adapt to. I spent years on lockdown or in ad seg. I did, I wound up doing almost ad, 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 seg. ad seg, administrative segregation, oh, gotcha. the whole. I mean, I spent years between, because when, when stuff would happen on the yard, say if there's a stabbing, you might spend a week or two weeks locked down. Or if someone attacks a cop, now you're down for 30 days. Or in one case, I spent like, eight or nine months lockdown, you know, where you're not getting out of your cell except for a shower every third day. And that, that yeah. helps keep you out of trouble. So you, you, yeah. you're, you're, you're rising as far as, you know, not doing anything wrong. Yeah. Your record's looking a little better. Well, it's you, easy to stay out of trouble then. <laughs> yeah. But you get released from Pelican Bay. Yeah. And where do you go? I go to Salinas Valley. Now, this is, yeah. this, if, if being crushed in a trash truck seven times isn't enough for a story. Yeah. And, and just... Just this whole picture that you're sharing. Mm-hmm. So you, you leave Pelican Bay again, share with everybody where you head. Now I go to Salinas Valley. Okay. And it was there I got to my lowest point. And, and you're, you're, you're using drugs. Still. I'm using drugs. Crystal, uh, I mean, crystal meth? Crystal meth mostly, you know. But And, and that, that messes yeah. with your mind. It does. It yeah. really does. I mean, it gets to where, yeah, you start getting sketchy. Yep. You know, the more you do it, you start getting, I noticed my teeth were starting to chip all the time. That's why you like, you lot of see a lot of meth, yeah. meth addicts. They, got, they don't have any teeth. It, it makes everything brittle. Um, so I got there, I think, in 95 or 96. It's kind of tough to remember, but uh, I really got to my lowest point um, in 98. Uh, I, I got to be proud where I would get 115s where my points would go up, you know? So I'm like, yeah, I got so many points and stuff. I mean, my whole value system was upside down. And um, uh, so by 98, um, I'm really heavily involved in the politics now. Now I'm getting in all kinds of... When you of, say politics, we're not talking Republican, Democrat. Right. We're talking racism. Yeah, racism. Uh, you know, yeah, race politics or just politics within your race. Yeah. Like there's, you have, even you have factions within your, like you get, if you're from Sacramento, you ride with the sack car, you know, you got some, and some dudes are Sacramaniacs, which is like a cut above the regular dude from Sacramento. Um, San Diego's got their car. Every, all these areas got their, got their own little, little clicks and stuff like wow. that. So, and since there isn't anybody really from Thousand Oaks in prison <laughs> except me, I was my own car, you yeah. know, um, but I got involved in that, you know, and uh, so, I, yeah, I, I forget. I don't know. I wound up getting a total of like 22 serious disciplinary 115s, ranging from from drugs to fights to to weapons charges and stuff like that. And, and by uh, this time, you've mastered how to make a weapon. And yeah, everything. yeah, I know how to make a weapon. And, and, and there's you, guys in there that, that are so skilled at making weapons, you would think they actually did it on a machine. I kid you not. Yeah. Yeah. So talk about, I mean, life is miserable. You're at your lowest mm-hmm. point. Uh, there's no getting out. Mm-hmm. You, you, you are, you're done. What, what, 
how in the world do you end up here? Come on, yeah. give us a, yeah. well, what, what transpires? A... What, what brings you to a place that God would, would take somebody who has done so much evil mm-hmm. and, and redeem you? How did that come about? Um, well, we get to 2001. I'm still at Salinas Valley. I'm running with the worst guys on the yard. I'm doing as much drugs as I possibly can. Um, Your teeth are yeah. chipping. <laughs> um, well, I get to a point where I really, I'm tired of doing, I'm really done. I'm tired of using the drugs, but I cannot stop. They're not, I, mean, I don't find pleasure in them, but I'm totally enslaved mm-hmm. to the drugs at this point. And, and so people understand you're getting the drugs because there's a whole economy inside the prison mm-hmm. itself where you get money on your books, you, you purchase food supplies, you do trading and bartering, yeah. and, and it's all, you know, the value of things. It's just like on the outside. Yeah. Capitalism works even yeah. On, yeah. in a prison yard. I, made, I would make gallons and gallons of wine every week, prison wine. And you do that in the, in yeah. the toilet? Well, because I worked, I, like I worked in the kitchen, so I had access to everything I needed, and I would steal so much stuff out of the kitchen. I would have these batches. I would have like five to seven gallon batches of pruno going on underneath my bunk. And, and the way it works is you got to have a yeast element, anything yeah. with sugar in it. Yeah. You put it in a bag. You put it in your toilet. Yeah. And you can even make um, white lightning. Yeah. If you know how to cook it off to where yep. you get. So I would do that too. And, and that would help to support my drug habit. Mm. So. All right. So yeah. your bottom rung of the ladder. Yeah. What happens? Okay. I get into a cell with some guy. And if ever there was somebody who I was in the cell with was demonic, it was this particular guy. I remember we got into a fight. And was in his the... name like Lucifer or something? <laughs> <or>? Damien. <laughs> My name is Legion. Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, he had, he had the, uh, the pentagram on him and stuff like that. And I remember one time, he actually spoke one time with a voice that was so weird. I've never even, it was just, it tripped me out. But um, we get into a fight in the cell one time. And in the middle of this fight, he starts cackling like a madman. And um, I was a pretty good fighter, but uh, he, did, he took my best shots and stuff like that. And then when, then when I was like, I'd, I'd had enough, he's like, he turned to me and he says, three, I owe you three shots. And he just proceeded to do, you know, to bust my, I got a big old gash in the inside of my lip and he, he nailed me a few good times. And at the end of that, it was over. It was the weirdest thing. And um, the very next day, I think it was, uh, I hadn't been using any drugs that day, but I came in from the yard, and everything was fine. And as I'm, I go to write something down, and as I'm writing, my hand is just like out of control, flying across the page, and I don't know what's going on. Um, so I forced myself to start to start writing very slow. And as I did that, all of a sudden, it's like the the page turned like a reddish color. The, 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 um, the letters I was writing began to grow, but also move away at the same time. And the next thing you know, there's a black shadow moving across the cell. I felt it brush up against my mustache. It knocked something over on the shelf. And I was like, whoa, that's a demon. And then I was like, and everything stopped. Once I realized, once I saw that and I was like, that's a demon, everything returned back to normal. And I'm, as I'm thinking about this, I'm like, wow, you don't have, I said, God must exist because you don't have demons without God. And, and there, it was, can't, there, there can't be good if there's not evil. And if there's yeah. evil, there's got to be good. Well, and this is what got me on my search to find out who God was. I mean, the very next day now, when I went to the yard, I remember I was looking out over the prison walls under the mountains and I'm like, who created all this? You know? So 
looking back now, I, I can see it. It was at that time I began to search for who God really was. And when God says, you will seek me and find me when you search me with all your heart. So I read some other religious books. And I remember one book in particular, after I read it, I was like, I could have wrote that. You know, but when I read the Bible, I was like, wow. It blew me away for, I mean, just the way that like God would speak about time. Yeah, you were telling me you read Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. You got mm. through kind of the temple stuff and yeah. it, it, it got a little convoluted for right. you. You jumped over to the New Testament and as mm-hmm. you began to read that, yeah. it was as though the words were jumping off the page into your heart. Yeah. Did, did, is, is that a correct? Yeah. Well, and, well, for one, when I was reading, it just everything rang true to me uh, as I was reading, even in the Old Testament. So I read Genesis and Exodus and like when I got to the temples, it was just like, yeah, that got a little dry for me. And when I jumped to the New Testament, I'd already believed everything that I'd read back in the Old Testament. And um, so as I'm reading the New Testament, I really start coming under conviction. And like before, I didn't care. I knew I was doing things that were wrong, but I didn't care. Yeah. But once I realized I was actually breaking God's law, this is what got me to to want to turn. I'm like, oh man, I'm in trouble. And I remember having this thought, I got burned in this life. I'm not about to get burned in the next. Good word. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, I screwed my life up. I had all kinds of stuff going for me and I threw it away with my. And at this uh, point you're what, you're mid to late twenties. Um, I think I was 31 or 32 at the time. I've okay. been, uh, this is, I started doing my time in 87 and then this is now 2001, like June of 2001. Yeah, yeah. So as I'm reading the Bible, uh, we were on lockdown at the time. So I'm just up there hours and hours a day just reading through the Bible. And somewhere along the way, I don't know if it was in the Gospels or shortly after that, but as I'm reading it, I'm kind of coming under complete conviction of my sin. And it just makes total sense why. And now I finally realize why was I the way I was. Well, because I was a sinner, you know, I was, I was acting on my wickedness. There was no restraint on me, you know. And finally, I run across, you know, reading the Bible and seeing what's wrong with me. And it just made perfect sense. And, uh, and I'm also now fearful. I'm like, oh man, I don't want to spend an eternity in hell. Nothing in this life is worth it. And as I was reading about Jesus and, and I was for like three, four days straight, every time I would start reading the Bible, I would just be up there crying for like an hour or two. And um, so at some point in there, I just got saved. Yeah. I, got, I, I did. It was, a, it was like a Pauline experience. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And Nobody um, prayed the, right. the yeah, prayer with you. You didn't know the four spiritual laws. Right. Romans Road. You just, this was... You met the Lord. I met the Lord, yeah. And he totally changed me. And I knew and I knew right away that I got changed for a couple of reasons. For one, my thinking changed so fast. This is what was weird. Not only did it change so fast, but I, one of the best thoughts I think I ever had in my life was I realized that everything I believed before was a lie. Mm. So therefore, I was now going to funnel all my thinking through the scriptures. I didn't realize at the time that I was developing a biblical worldview, but that's exactly what I was doing. I'm like, if everything I lived for before was wrong, and since this is true, I've got to change the way I look at everything in life. So my thinking changed drastically. And not only that, but the power that drugs had over me was broken immediately. Wow. And it was weird. I remember um, I'm, um, I wanted to use drugs still, because like, it was like a, the habit of it. And, but the power that the drugs had over me just wasn't there. It was yeah. still out of habit that I wanted to do it. And I remember uh, I'd got some cocaine from, from the guy in the cell next to me, and I'm getting ready to do it, and, this, and I'm listening to the radio, and there's a song on there uh, by Megadeth. I was really into you know, um, that kind of heavy metal and yeah. stuff like that. And the, and the song on there was, I've seen the needle use the man, and the man use the needle. And I'm like, man, God's talking to me through the radio. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I, I did it, and I didn't feel anything. And I was like, I'm never doing that again. 
and I haven't. And it was the same thing with, with marijuana. I used to smoke it all the time, and I was smoking it one day with my celly. And, and again, he threw the radio, who uses a song that says, why can't we just be sober? And I'm like, yeah, man, I'm done with this stuff. And I've been clean and sober, you know, all that time. I've had some beers and stuff since I got out, but um, I've been, I haven't gone back to drugs. So, so how, but how do you get out? Because you have this demonic experience, visitation, mm-hmm. whatever it is. You got a creepy cackling cellmate. Um, you have come to Christ through the reading of the scriptures, realizing that there's a demon, there's got to be God. And you, your heart gets touched. Um, your whole worldview begins to change. And at this point, you're, you're what, in Salinas yeah. when this occurs? Do you get transferred? When do you start getting plugged into any, any other person that's a believer where you would find fellowship and start to grow in your faith apart from just this, you know, isolated moment with you and God? When does he bring you into the larger body of Christ? How does all that transpire? Um, well, as usual, God uses persecution. You know, um, when I first got saved, I told the, all the guys I was hanging out with, I'm done, I'm a Christian, and... At first, they were like, yeah, just stay away from us. But it wasn't long before they got upset with me. And they actually, uh, because of some stuff I refused to do anymore, they actually were trying to get me stabbed, which I knew that they would try to do it. I, didn't, I wasn't afraid of them. Um, and the way God orchestrates things, there's been several times like this, but just this one instance, um, they had some guy that they wanted to try and stab me. He didn't want to do it. They went to get another guy. He didn't want to do it. And then turns out a guy that was on another yard... Uh, skinhead he got in trouble for something and he locked up he went into protective custody and he told on the guys on my yard about where they had knives hidden and they all got busted with their knives and got taken to the hole and nothing happened to me wow and um so god delivered you he delivered me he did that from stuff like that for me at least two or three times and if if you didn't have a car to drive in being from thousand oaks and you weren't from you know sacramento and uh now you're in the realm of being a christian so Mm -hmm. you're probably even more ostracized and alienated, I'd imagine. I mean, I don't know that world, but is that a fair assumption? Yeah, Yeah, it it is. It is, especially, you know, because, I mean, especially on certain yards. The yard I was on was like one of the worst yards. There was no church presence there. I wound up getting transferred off that yard, though, as a result of... um, This this, is Salinas? Yeah, this is Salinas. They put me over onto A yard, and I was over on... A yard had church there, and I would get to go to church there. And, um, but what happened was... They decided they were going to make that yard I was on a protective custody yard, so they shipped us all out. Now I get shipped down to Calipatria. Where's and Calipatria? Calipatria is down near uh, El Centro. Oh, so you, you, get, you get moved to the surface of the sun. Oh, yeah. We're like in the Arizona, Mexico area. Kind you of, thought Lancaster was bad. Yeah. Nah, okay. Yeah. All so, right. Yeah, I, they decided they wanted to cook me 10 months out of the year. <laughs> um, but uh, So I wound up getting down there, and it turns out, They've got pretty good church servers. There's a lot of guys that come in and volunteer from San Diego and stuff to do prison ministry. So we had all kinds of church services there. So it's so the 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 yard itself, a spiritual presence, is based on those who would be volunteering to participate in ministry. Yeah. And they didn't have that in Salinas, but they did have it in Calipatria? They had it on one yard at Salinas that I was aware of. Didn't mean that they didn't have it on the other yards. They may have. I just know the yard I was on, Charlie Yard, nothing. Nothing. You know? And that's all dependent on people willing to go into the prisons yeah. and, and do yeah. work. And, and, well, and one of the common things you'll... Uh, what, what Jesus said when I was in prison, you, when did you visit me? Right, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, there's this, there's this couple, Ken and Ellie and Cenas, just love them to death. But uh, I remember when they started coming to our church, they were their church. They loved it so much better than their church on the streets. You know, they they really got caught up in, in prison ministry, and it's like that for a lot of people who come in there. Um, when you when you're on a yard with guys that are genuine Christians that are on fire to serve the Lord and stuff like that, it's really inspiring. And I was fortunate enough to be part of a church like that at Calipatria. Uh, this is where I f- first got into um, into, my, into serving uh, myself. Uh, I remember at the time I was just going to church and stuff, attending like everybody else. But I, I was really getting into um, wanting to do more for the Lord. And, but there's uh, a lot of guys, I, I would guess, yeah. that would go to church service to try to, you know, con the system. And, and I imagine, you know, with the spirit of discernment, you can pick those guys out, but you're still kind to yeah. them because yeah. you know that the, the God's word doesn't return void. Right. Yeah, I mean, that's, it's true. Uh, you do have guys that show up for service because they want to meet up. Because it's like, for instance, if you're on, uh, some of the yards are divided and you can't really meet with guys on other yards, but you can at the church. So if you want to meet with your buddy from another yard and go in there and do a drug deal or something like that, you can. And there's guys that show up for that kind of stuff or just to get out of their cell Wow! because you do so much cell time. But a lot of those guys wind up getting saved. So like yeah. you said, we don't, we don't, as long as they're not causing too many problems, you know, let them have at it. <laughs> so so you, you told me that uh, you got into Kirk Cameron yeah. and Ray Comfort's Way of the Master. Right. You devoured that, learned how to yeah. witness and share the Lord. Well, this, um, they had a... a, a there was like 30 cops got attacked on this other yard when I was at Calipatria. So they locked us all down. Every yard got locked down. And during this time, I got the uh, way of the master biblical school of evangelism. So I'm in the cell for all these months. I'm going through the book. I even start writing my own gospel tracks. My very first one was the purpose of the law. So I write my own gospel tracks and we would send those out to my mom would make copies of them and send them back in. And we're passing them out to the guys and you know, we're in, we're, we're stuck in our cells and what other way can we evangelize yeah, to these guys? Guys would brilliant. go walking by in handcuffs on the way to the shower and we'd be like, hey man, here, this is for you. And we'd give it to guys and do stuff like that. And uh, when uh, we finally got back to having program again, uh, one of the brothers that was like an elder in the church, he says, hey, why don't you teach a class on evangelism? So I did. And we, we got their DVD, way of the master DVDs and stuff. And and we would teach using that as a, as a template, you know, like, hey, this is how you witness to people so they can understand their sin and their need of a savior. So as you're doing all this, mm-hmm. obviously your stock is rising as far as a model inmate. Mm-hmm. You're doing better. You're not getting cited for anything. Yeah. You're not doing drugs anymore. You're not right. fighting. Right. Um, how, do you, how do you get out of prison when you have two consecutive life sentences? Yeah. Well, I mean, there's always the possibility of parole. Uh, it's just not a very good possibility. Yeah, one out of a hundred. <laughs> one out of a hundred. Um, they actually just, they started making changes, uh, I don't know, maybe seven, eight years ago. Started, you know, letting more guys out off of life sentences. And I finally, once I got saved, I, now that I have hope for something, I, now I also start see light at the end of the tunnel. Um, not only do I want to change my life because I want to live for the Lord, but I'm like, well, now maybe I, I can actually get out because with the Lord, nothing's impossible. So my whole perspective on that changed. So I went from 2001 after getting like 22 um, serious disciplinaries to getting none from that point on. So there's a radical change. Radical change. And, and you can identify that specific change. Mm-hmm. And, and for all the, the government employees and those working in the prison systems and, the, and the, you know, the, the prison guard union here in California, please hear this. He goes from 22 severe violations to zero. And the reason why was? Because of Jesus. 
<laughs> now, I, I, I don't, I, I, I'm, I'm not a rocket scientist, and you want to dismiss religion, and you want to, you, 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 you want to separate, you know, I, really? I mean, 22 major violations to zero, and you just heard him share with you why, and that's Jesus. So, yeah. And, and fascinatingly enough, in all fairness to the prison system, they do see that. Yeah. I mean, these guards that have to deal with inmates day in and day out, they do see the significance of when someone's life really gets touched by the Lord. Mm-hmm. Would that be a, a fair statement? Yeah. I mean, even when I would go to the parole board to, you know, where you, they, where you actually, you know, look at you for eligibility, they would ask me why the change? Because they would see where it was like everything, they'd say everything just stopped right here in 2001. So that always worked as an opportunity for me to testify before the parole board members. Yeah. So I would tell them, you know, and, uh, and there, you would actually, and it's cool, you know, there's some COs in there that are uh, correctional officers that are, you know, believers. Yeah. And it's cool. And you would have some good conversations with them and they'd be like, you know, I see what you're doing and stuff, man, keep it up, you know, and they'd encourage you, yeah, you're going to get out one day, don't even worry about it, you know, and uh, sure enough, you know, it came to be. So... Uh, you, you, you go before the parole board on a number of occasions, yeah. but you told me there was a significant number right. that, that hit that you, <laughs> you realized you're getting out. Yeah. Well, when I was down at Calipatria, I went before this one commissioner. I just knew I had to get away from this guy because, for one, he was an ex-cop. And I could tell when he was questioning me in there that he was trying to trip me up. And I, I'm well, like, he didn't. He didn't like you shooting one of his yeah, fellow officers. I, I get that, and I don't blame yeah. him for that. And, but I was like, I know three times I went before the same commissioner. So I, I finally get my points down. After all these years of being in prison, I finally got my points low enough. It took me 50, 15 years, 14, 15 years, I think, to get my uh, points down low enough to where I could finally go to a level three. So I go, to, I, I go up to Pleasant Valley, get away from uh, that, that area right there so I know, I know I won't face the same commissioner. And so now when my, parole, uh, my next time coming up before the parole board comes, it's going to be my seventh time before the parole board. I'm going in the month of July, the seventh month, and guess what day it turned out to be? July 7th. So I was like, oh, yeah, I'm getting out. <laughs> what year was this? This was uh, 2016, I believe. Yeah, 2016. So it was July 7th. It was my seventh time before the parole board. And sure enough, I went in there, and I could tell right away just the way that they questioned me. It was like the answers I gave them, they were good with them. They didn't try to like ask me a question within a question within yeah. a question. And uh, they found me eligible for parole. Uh, the governor at the time, I believe, was Jerry Brown. He tried to take my, uh, my parole date from me. And uh, my mom, this is another one of the great, she flew all the way from North Carolina to appear before the hearing in Sacramento on the day that, because uh, you get a hearing, an en banc hearing. And uh, she showed up for me. And uh, she spoke well for me. And they were, and I, that probably you know, might have made the difference right there why I kept my, my parole date. So you get out and... You, you get to go where? Okay, so I get out, and basically it's standard procedure to send you to a transition home for six months. So I get sent to a place called the Training Center down in San Diego. And a lot of the guys from the Training Center, the guys doing prison ministry at Calipatria, uh, some really good brothers there. So I do six months there at the Training Center, and um, it's cool. You know, I got out, and they, lifers, they don't really give, you know, the, the lifers that recidivate is so low. It's in like single digit percentage below like maybe 3% that they don't really, they're not worried about us, you know, because they know you guys, there's no way you guys are going to do anything to go back. So when I got out, even though I'm in this transition home, I've got a lot of freedom. And uh, 
so I did six months in there, and it was during that time I was in a uh, I was on a Christian website, and that's when I met Sarah, because you know, I was doing a lot of talking about the Lord on there, and that attracted her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you guys met, yeah. um, and then you told me that you and your brother were going to go hiking in Zion, yeah. and you asked for the, the parole officer for an opportunity to go through three states yeah. and go to the Las Vegas Strip, because that's where Sarah lived. Right. Um, and it's unheard of. Unheard of, yeah. but they, they permitted it. To get an out-of-state pass is hard enough. It's not too bad if you're going to visit family, but if, like, if you're just doing it to travel on vacation, they're like, no. Especially since I'd only been out a few months. And, uh, and then also because now I'm going to be staying in the Strip, too, for a couple of days. Yeah. And uh, at first, there's like, no way you're going to get that travel pass. But turns out I got the travel pass, and that's when I got to meet Sarah in person because that's where she's lived all of her life was Las Vegas. Now, you, you, you were driving. You were telling me the story. You said, I met her. You, you, you rapidly said, we got married, but you said to me while we were driving, look, I, I can't, th- that's as much of the story as I can give you because I got to go pick up another ride at yeah. LAX. And you dropped me off, and then I switch into your car, and I turn to you, Sarah, and I go, give me part two on this one. Yeah. And, and you picked up where Steve left off. I mean, you, you meet this guy, and he's honest on the website, the Christian website. He, I imagine he says that he is a paroled, um, dual life sentence, um, and, and he probably shared everything, or how did that go? Or maybe he did. I don't know. Just tell me. Yeah, I saw a post, and he was talking about, like, he had a picture where he was just, like, all happy and just, um, like, a big smile, and he was talking about, how he was just happy to get out and um, thank God, thank the Lord. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. So I messaged him, which I, like, never really went in and messaged, like, random people. It was a Facebook group. But, um, and then I messaged him, and I was like, that's really cool. And I added him, and then we started talking from there. Um, Yeah. And then... How long from the time you met to the time that you realized you guys are going to spend your life together? What A, a new um, life sentence. I had a I'm convincer. Kidding. That's not a... Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, what did you say? I said I had a convincer. Oh, you did, yeah. I did too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it took some convincing because I was like just... Um, I don't know, what's funny is I was praying for a godly man like the night before I saw his post. And I was like just praying because I had gotten... Um, and like gotten involved with friends that weren't like just good to be around because I had like isolated before I um, before I got off drugs yeah. and then after I got off drugs like I had no f- friends in a church or nothing so I got into trouble and then I was just like praying um, to just find someone that could kind of like I don't know. Just understand it all. Understand, yeah. It's it's interesting that you're asking the Lord for a godly man, but you didn't specify uh, that he, Lord. He can't be, uh, you know, convicted uh, life felon kind of thing. But everything you described of, you know, I, I'm in isolation. I I want to be around somebody that isn't going to be troublesome to me. And here's somebody who's familiar with isolation right. and trouble and trouble. <laughs> yeah. And, and yet the two of you guys just a, a fit. And that's what I wanted though, is a man that like 
wasn't someone that wouldn't understand me. That was just like because you had your own struggles, as yeah. you share with me. If and, and feel free if you want to elaborate on those, because I I I I had asked I talked to you about going on the live stream, but I'd never said to you, Sarah, about sharing anything. But it, whatever you share with me, if you want to share it with with the folks, do so. If not, I completely understand. But that's up um, to you. Yeah. Because um. both you guys, your stories give people unbelievable hope that there's you just described a hopeless situation and now we realize there isn't anything God can't do mm -hmm. right. and when you told me your story that that just that the two together it was like wonder twin powers active yeah. I was yeah. blown away <laughs> yeah it was like praying that I'd find a man who like more understood maybe had like I literally wanted a man that kind of maybe had a past like mine but now is you know living for the Lord completely who can understand the struggles understand yeah and it was just kind of perfect and um yeah I but I grew up like way like different than he had I grew up in a really poor family in Las Vegas um, my whole family being on drugs, my mom was on drugs, like, um, I was just left home alone a lot, it was such a, like, a latchkey kid, but, um, I ended up getting into a lot of trouble getting into drugs, like, pretty seriously. You have a brother, two sisters, yet, no, wait, I remember you, because I've been, I've been praying for Destiny and Monica, I've been praying for them. Um, but you told me about your other, your, your, a brother, any other siblings that I've forgotten? Yeah, and I have an older brother, and then I have uh, my oldest sister. Yeah. And she never really got into drugs because she got into the Mormon church. Mormon church, that's right. Yeah. You told me about that. Okay. And a lot of people in my family are like, that's all I knew about God or anything was the Mormon church. And that but was limited. Very limited because Because your that. mom died when you were young, right? Um, no, she died when I was 23. My oh, father a... died when I was 12, though. Wow. Yeah. So 12, 23, and, and you're, you're at this point, I mean, when did drugs kind of enter your life? Well, my mom was giving us drugs at a very young age. I can't remember the first time I was given um, whatever it was, a prescription medication, like a whether it was a Lord tab or whatever, I remember she had like, would crush up medicine or whatever and give it to us very young. And I mean, I remember at like 11, I started using more prescription medication. Then I got on um, meth and meth and just tried anything. I would literally, if you put a drug or an alcohol in front of me, I would take it and I would take it until there was no more. Like I just was like that. I just... I was if, almost on a it, death wish, you know? Yeah, if, if, if one does a trick, two will really... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what's, yeah. what's four do? Yeah, and then if it's two, well, let's go four, and then you're chewing them and adding mm -hmm. stuff, and right. you became a, um, a chemist, I imagine. <laughs> yeah, I could... Amateur chemist? I was a, a pharmacist by yeah. that time. But when I got like... Um, I mean, I was on cocaine and stuff like that, but I could always stop. But when I got on prescription medication, right before I found out that um, uh, I'm disabled because my back will kind of, I mean, so right before I found out about my spine, I was already on prescription medication to the point where if I stopped 
using my, the prescription or the um, morphine or Percocet or whatever, I would go into withdrawal. Like, even if I had stopped for, like, a day, it was just, like, so horrible. So I was, I've, like... I've been through that. Mm-hmm. You feel like you're going to crawl out of your skin. Just, yeah. It's just crazy, yeah. Yeah, and so I was, like, just And the depression. I've been, yeah. Unbelievable. Had been depressed since I was 12, since my dad died. And, um, yeah, and the depression from that just makes it worse. And so I ended up getting on morphine after my back, too. They would just, the doctors would just prescribe me at, like, 20 years old, whatever, whatever I wanted, like, and it was just way too much what they were prescribing, but I got on morphine and somas, and I would take them till I'd black out, and, um... You'd add alcohol to that? No, I wasn't drinking alcohol at that time. I mainly did that when I was, like, a young kid. Okay. But, um... Yeah, one time I even overdosed on a city bus, and they, I ended up in a hospital after that. And it's so crazy because all I wanted to do when I was in the hospital was get out of there and get back to home to start using again. Like, didn't even really care. Um, and so that, that puts you in a tough spot. Are you working? Are you doing anything employment-wise? How are you surviving? Um, no, I was living with... Um, the, my boyfriend at the time, we were living at my parents, and everyone in that household was just using uh, prescription medication and abusing that. So, yeah, we were living there on, like, a mattress in the floor um, of the living room because there's, you know, my brother was living there, my sister, my mom, my stepdad, and then us, and it was a two-bedroom apartment. And we would live in, like, budget suites and stuff like that, and... Uh, be squatters in places because we couldn't afford the rent so we'd be doing that just place to place um and I actually started wondering with the that boyfriend at the time like I was started wondering like things came into my head like you know we're I'm gonna die one day and there's nothing I can do about it and like um what came first like what did all this come from? It couldn't have came from nothing. So I started thinking stuff like that. And then I asked him, like, because he used to be a youth leader. But um, I asked him, how do you get saved? And I don't remember you telling me about him being a youth leader. Yeah, he was when but he was younger. But at this point, he's, he's a drug addict. Yes, and he's... Full, full addiction. So um, Was he a youth leader in the Mormon faith? Or was no, this evangelical? Or? Evangelical, yeah. Wow. So I still, even though even though he was on drugs and whatever, I still, like, got to learn some things about it. But, and I had, like, prayed and started, like, um, wanting to know who God was and was, like, being called towards him then. But I'm still, like, using, still doing all that. I ended up getting on methadone after that, which is one of the hardest things to get off of because yeah. it takes a month of like severe withdrawals to get off of. So doctors didn't want to help me get off of anything like that. They just kind of want to, I don't know. They just, I don't know. I ended up getting off of it myself. I got onto Suboxone. And Suboxone, then, okay. And then from there, I ended up just literally like researching on YouTube how to get off of it because I just wanted 
to get off so bad, but it was like, I didn't have anyone that would be like, oh, please get off. Like you're, you're ruining your life or, and I didn't have anyone who would pay for rehab, although I like wished I had someone like that. And most people just didn't want that, but, and they could have it, but like, um, well, your your boyfriend at the time, ex youth leader. Now he's addicted to drugs. You're you're trying to figure life out. Mm-hmm. He shares with you about the Lord. I asked him. Yeah, I was like, "How do you get saved?" Like it just came in my head, and I wanted to know, like, how do you get saved? And he said, "It was very basic." What he said, you just pray to God and accept Jesus and. Um, asked to be saved and asked for forgiveness. So so he remembered that part of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you do. What? I assume you did that. Yes, I did that. But it's not like um, his story where he was off drugs like I that. Was, I was cracking up because when he said the desire, God took it. I mean, there was still the impulse uh, of addiction, but the drugs never did. I saw you kind of go. I don't know if anyone caught it but I'm like I didn't even catch it yeah but like yeah I wanted to get off but I just didn't know how but I knew I was going to and I had like hope and um yeah I got off of that uh it's not that simple but I ended up getting off I wanted to be off of it but it was just the withdrawals are just so bad I really wish they wouldn't give out that medication like candy but yeah so I got off of that and I feel like um God really blessed me after I was able to be free of it I feel like I just started getting so many blessings afterwards and I met him um shortly after I had got off um Suboxone and you know we have our daughter how old is Hannah she's two two. she's two two she is such a blessing. Oh like, my goodness! Oh my gosh! She, the, the whole drive down, she didn't. She was like, just yeah. She's happy as can she's be. She's so cool. <laughs> Where are we going now, mom? Yeah, yeah. She's really good. Like she is just such a blessing. Like I do not deserve the life I have now. Like I got into trouble too. Like him, I was just a con artist. I'd con you out of your last like dime. I was very promiscuous. Just you know, using all the drugs I could. And I was just like a horrible person. I I was a thief, like so bad. I would steal from like a disabled person. I was, I like wanted to not have a conscience, you know? And when you get to a place where um, something possesses you, you, you don't care anymore. Right. It's amazing what can happen to the human condition when God is removed. Mm-hmm. But then he, he comes into your life by a simple prayer of a wayward youth pastor. Yeah. Um, and then you find yourselves connected. You're drawn to him. It takes a little convincing. Yeah. <laughs> when did you all get married? February 18th of 2018. There you go. And you would come back here? Yeah. Well, yeah the, I when I um, got out of the transition home, my parole officer would not let me stay in San Diego, even though I wanted to. I loved San Diego. It was fun down there. So it was either go back to L.A. County, my county of commitment, or go live with my mom until I could get my own housing. 
Okay. And uh, so I chose to go with my mom. And then we're just blessed. You guys end up here because CCTO shuts down. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, I, did you say you heard me on Prager or something? Or? Uh, yeah, well, I was, I was highly upset at the churches for not being open for <clears throat> so long. Too. I mean, I could understand it at first, you know, because who knows what was with all the drastic predictions. I, okay, take a few weeks to make sure everything's all right. Yeah. But uh, after it just kept going on and on, and then when you would see the arbitrary nature of the rules and stuff and the obvious contradictions, I'm like, how are the churches putting up with this? Yeah. So I'm mad, you know, and I'm listening to Prager, and uh, some guy calls him from Thousand Oaks, and he mentions this church. Yeah. And he says, yeah, my church is open. We've been open since May 31st. I tell Sarah, I say, we're going to that church this Sunday. Yeah. And so I went and checked out your, your belief statement first just to make sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, okay, it's cool. <laughs> and uh, that Sunday we, we, uh, we came here. Well, we, I, I need to check your belief statement, <laughs> see if, if you're allowed in. No, I'm just I was so, like, we are so blessed we found this place, though, because I had been searching for a church like this for, like, a long time. And it's just, like, nice to know that there's people that stand up for what the... Um, what the Bible says and will do do what it says, even if that means like you could get fined yeah. or whatever else they'll do, you know? Amen. I mean, God de- delivered you from incarceration. Mm-hmm. I'd be willing to be incarcerated for the Lord. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he set you free while you were still incarcerated. Mm-hmm. And yet, yeah. That's a that's a that's a blessing to hear you say that, Sarah. I, it, I'm, I'm moved by it. It is. I'm so like grateful for this church. You have no idea, like, and just having Hannah here with the kids and her being able to play, and then the small groups I'm in. It's just because I had still been isolating for a long time. It's very hard for me to uh, make friends, but here I like trust the people enough to like just open up and make friends and stuff because I isolated my whole life. Yeah. Trust me, I didn't have, like, friends really. So it's nice. Well, you guys are an adorable couple. Mm-hmm. And granted, I imagine you're working through struggles in life because, you know, when you start taking drugs, you kind of stunt your mm-hmm. emotional growth at you a certain do. point. And then yeah. when you come clean, you got to reconnect. Your bodies are older, but your mind's still trapped at where you started using, and you're trying to figure life out. And... You're doing it in the best place possible around people who want to do the right thing. And, and I know life's not perfect. I, I haven't even had a conversation with you in relation to that, but I, I can guarantee you, you've had your struggles. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if I'm wrong, just speak up. But no, I know right. I'm not. <laughs> but the, the beauty of it is, I, 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 in the short period of time, I got to witness the way you even ministered to Hannah. You're a good mom. Mm-hmm. That, did, that didn't take any time to observe mm-hmm. that. It was really sweet. And, and then, Steve, you know, I, I'm watching you and you're telling me the story. I'm baffled because I see a guy with a really good business mind. And I'm listening to you tell me about how you've arranged things and when COVID hit and how we adjusted and what we did here. And we purchased that and we hold, held off on that purchase. And we're and, and I'm, I'm looking and then I get in the car with you and you're talking about how, you know, you, you've got a YouTube presence and you've been doing this, you know, some videos and, and things of that sort. And you guys are really capable, and you're making life work. Yeah. And you're doing it in California, for God's sake. I mean, that, that's hard to do. Yeah. And, and then the worst part of it is, you go to get a job anywhere, and they really like you. And you get to that final interview, 
and it says felon, <laughs> you're done. Yeah. You, you go to rent an apartment and they really like you and they get to the part that says felon, you're done. Mm -hmm. And that you've, you've served your time. You've been let out. Mm -hmm. And I'm off parole. Yeah. yeah. And, and my feeling is if, if you did and served and accomplished what you said, it's not like the Lord brings us into his kingdom and says, you're saved, but for the rest of your life, here's a scarlet letter. Mm -hmm. If you have served society, then take away that moniker. Mm -hmm. But one of the reasons why we still retain the moniker is because we let people out who probably aren't ready to be let out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. But in your case, I'd hire you in a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. I'd hire you in a heartbeat. And I, if I owned a place to rent, I'd rent it to you guys mm -hmm. without question. Mm -hmm. So... I know God's got wonderful things in store and is already doing that. And you've had a tremendous ministry to so many, the two of you guys. And, and I, I know this is going to be a great ministry. Since we're limited on time and we've obviously gone over, I mean, this is, a, this is going to be a long, okay. but it, I'm, I'm glad people have tuned in for the length of it. Let's yeah. conclude with this one thought. If there's anything you can tell the folks that would be tuning into this, with a hopeless situation that both of you can testify, it was over. I'm, I mean, you want to talk about hopeless, I qualified. What would you say to them? Right now, they're in your mess that you were previously in. Mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. If they do see a light, it's an oncoming train. Mm -hmm. what, what, what would you say to them? Um, I would tell them what they should do is just open up a Bible and read it and be prepared to receive and believe what's in there. Um, if you go to the Bible with an open heart, a willingness to change, I guarantee you God will start working in your life in a way that you will know God is working in your life. There just wouldn't be any other um, conceivable explanation for the things that will start happening to you. And if you'll continue to... Uh, Obey whatever God has for you, what God puts on your heart. Just watch him work in your life. He will save you. He will change you. Mm -hmm. And it will become so evident to you that everything that you just committed to is true, that your whole life will go in a completely different direction, in a good direction, not only for this time here on earth, but for what God has for you out in eternity. I would also say, too, just observing that he takes all the trash mm -hmm. and he turns it into a treasure. Beauty yeah. for ashes. Beauty for mm -hmm. ashes. Because we're looking at a guy who can now give a story and a testimony where God's taken the trash of that. We're giggling, laughing at really what was at the time just yeah. frightening. Mm -hmm. and, and we don't dismiss any of that. You own what you did. But you look at it and you say, okay, I'm that guy. Mm -hmm. But that guy died and who's alive now is Christ in me. Mm -hmm. And that... That's a profound story and a testimony. Testimony just means this is what my life was like before I knew the Lord. This is how I came to know the Lord. And this is how my life has changed since mm -hmm. having come to know the Lord. Powerful. Yeah. And then, Sarah, for you, and, and, and the depression and the darkness of the drugs and the hopelessness, and then the poverty mm -hmm. and, and the heartache and the sadness. Yeah. In that hopeless situation, even talking with somebody whose life just seemed to be you know, off the rails who would share the Lord with you in a, 
like, well, this is kind of how you do it, but I don't believe that much anymore. And then all of a sudden you just see this change and you're, you're looking yeah. at your family and you're looking at hope. Yeah. What would you say to folks in relation to that? Um, I'd say, uh, well, I did want to say something, how he um, found like Ray Comfort and stuff. Yeah. I didn't even know that. That's how I started getting more into like evangelistic stuff and wanting to like, wow. share a story on YouTube and stuff. And like he really helped me, Ray Comfort. And then it's so funny that I... Kirk Cameron? Kirk Cameron was here. Yeah. And it was like literally like a week or something after I started like binge watching them on YouTube, watching their show. And yeah, that was really cool. But I, told, I told Kirk your, your story. I, I know you guys did too, but I just reminded him. I said, you know, the, he, he got a guy who was in prison. He was devouring the way of the master and they come to church and they see you. I mean, yeah. talk about the Lord. Yeah. They I mean, those are the kind too. of things, you know, it's like, it just it's not a coincidence you know god is actually providentially overseeing everything that's going on down here right. and working everything according to his will Amen. Yeah, yeah he's got a plan for us and like what i would say though is like you don't have to you don't have to be like how am i going to do it though how am i going to get off drugs um even if you're rich like well i don't want to give up my money or this or that like you don't have to like know how to do it you just have to put your life in God's hand and he's going to do it. Like there is no way I could have got off drugs and done all that. Like I would have never thought I'd be here with a daughter and that's what I didn't even want a husband or a daughter. I was such a feminist, but um, yeah, I just would have never thought I'd have this life. And it's not like I had to figure everything out just to be where I am today. God did it and configured it to where I did it little bits at a time. Some people are changed in an instant. Yeah. Um, I'm really slow in like... <laughs> you and me I'm, both need a bump. I'm really um, just probably stubborn or something, but it, he still worked in my life and little by little got me out of all... Like my head was just so messed up, but um, I didn't have to figure everything out to do it. God just did it slowly. I just had to be willing to put my life in his yeah. hands so he would do it, you know? Mm. Amen. Now, Amen. Have, have both of you been baptized? Yeah. Yeah. And it, it took me, just real, it, just, it took me like two years to get baptized because like, where yeah. I was first at, I couldn't they get it done. But it. as soon as I got to a prison where I could get it done, boom, boom. And I actually, I, if I remember, I actually got baptized, I think, a day before my birthday, too, which was kind of cool. That's it's funny yeah. how I got baptized, yeah. should I say it? Yeah, tell him. So after <laughs> I met Steve, I told him that I had only been baptized in the Mormon church, which I didn't even know why they did it. I was yeah. eight years old. And I told her but it didn't count. He's like, yeah, well, I knew that. <laughs> but I was like, well, baptism isn't like, I don't know if that was just a thing they did back then, but... Um, He's like, no, you should get baptized, like, immediately. So when I went out to see him in California, we went to the um, ocean, and he did it right in the, the, in the ocean. So it was, like, really cool. Very cold, but... Yeah, it's very cold. December but was cool, too. Yeah, cold. Yeah, oh, come on. Yeah, yeah, baptize you straight to heaven? Yeah, that's how we know that you really believe. <laughs> He's getting the devil out of me. Let's go to Siberia, and we'll chip the ice and dip <laughs> you in. Well, the, the reality of, of baptism is it's an outward profession of an inward commitment that you're associating yourself 
with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. So the water represents a grave. And you, you go into the water dead to yourself. You come out alive to Christ. And, and, and that's telling the world that you're a follower of Christ. And forgetting what is behind, striving for what is ahead. And that's why I ask that question. Because the, the evidence of your life in Christ is apparent to all. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that, that testimony for those who would witness that public baptism is pretty cool. And I, I, I would just encourage folks, if you've never been baptized, do it because it, it's a public profession of faith. Yeah. And I, I have to just say, I have so enjoyed our time together. It, it's typically longer than one of our live streams would be, but I wanted to go all the way through with the two of you because I wanted everyone to hear this story. Thank you. And it's remarkable. And I, I have to just tell you, I, I'm honored to be the pastor of a church you would choose to attend because... Oh. You guys are walking miracles, and I, I'm, I'm privileged to no. call you my, my, my brother, my sister, and my friend. So oh, thank you. Right. You're welcome. This Amen. church is like a miracle for us, so we're really grateful, and you're just doing a great job as a pastor. That's really cool what you're doing. So Get another one. All right. <laughs> I got two. <laughs> Boom. I'd give you one, but you're not close no, enough. I couldn't say it any better than she said. I know. Anyhow, she so. nailed it. Yeah. No. You've done well. Hmm. Both of you. Well, we're, we're going we're gonna, to uh, bless you guys and bless all who are viewing. Uh, we do it with number six, and okay. so I'll, uh, I'll share off a of number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And I would just say to all of you, um, as you have heard from Steve and Sarah, there is no situation that you could be in right now that's hopeless. All things are possible with the Lord. Mm-hmm. No matter how dark, no matter how unbelievably oppressive it may be for you right now, call on the name of the Lord and He'll show you great and mighty things you know not of. He'll deliver you. He'll set your feet upon a rock. He'll put you on a firm foundation. He'll give you life and life more abundant. And so trust Him with that and watch what He does. And if you doubt it, just look at these two. I can't give you more evidence than that. That's pretty profound. And so, may the Lord bless you. Thanks for joining us tonight. We'll see you again tomorrow.